You're listening to On The Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending July 24th, 2015. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. I am Dara Curran, VAO content developer and news writer. And I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. This week, we're going to take a look at some legislation and discussion about program management. Uh, but first, let's start with some headlines. This week, the Office of Management and Budget issued new grant guidance, which requires grant funding agencies to use FAPIS, the Federal Awardee Performance and Integrity Information System, to report potentially negative information about grantees, including grants that were terminated due to a material failure to comply with terms and conditions, any administrative agreement to resolve suspension or debarment proceedings, and any finding that a non-federal entity is not qualified to receive a grant award. Granting agencies also must check FAPIS for this information prior to awarding a contract grant or cooperative agreement to ensure the potential awardee is eligible for the award. The guidance also requires certain recipients of federal funds to report some criminal, civil, and administrative proceedings to FAPIS. That guidance is effective January 1, 2016. Also, in relation to grants, the Department of Veteran Affairs has published a final rule amending its regulations with updated citations and references to OMB authorities for federal grant programs. On December 26, 2013, OMB adopted final guidance that superseded and streamlined requirements from various OMB circulars. And last December, OMB published a joint interim final rule that made technical changes to that guidance. Now, VA has adopted OMB's guidance, and effective July 22nd, this rule replaces the obsolete reference in VA's regulations. We've seen some cloud computing activity going on in the news this week. The Air Force awarded a $296 million cloud contract to a team consisting of Dell Federal Systems, Microsoft, and General Dynamics. The contractors will supply some 100,000 personnel with a Department of Defense-dedicated version of Microsoft Office 365, which provides email, instant messaging, desktop voice and video communications, productivity tools, and user storage. Also, the Federal Communications Commission is in the middle of a project that will put the agency at nearly 100% cloud usage by the end of fiscal year 2017. So far, the agency has eliminated 20% of its servers and rolled out a -a software-as-a-service help desk, which, thanks to the cloud, was quicker to install and less expensive than an on-site service. Now, the Air Force announced a lot of interesting things this week in addition to that cloud contract. We still talk about using the cloud as innovative, but the service is really kicking it up a notch with some of these things. Now, our listeners may remember a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned the Air Force was testing a plug-and-play approach for open architecture systems. And open architecture is a way to design computer hardware or software so that it's easy to add, upgrade, or swap out components. Uh, in theory, since contractors know how the system's architecture is designed, they should be able to design add-on products that plug into the host system without requiring significant modifications. And now the Air Force is testing that out with Northrop Grumman. In June, during flight testing, Northrop was able to integrate subsystems into the B-2 stealth bomber using architecture that was compliant with the open systems approach. In this test, the B-2 was able to communicate threat information to a contractor system, which forwarded that information to a second bomber, which destroyed the threat. So obviously that's the short version, but it was very successful test of the communication between the two open systems. Uh, the service also is preparing to award a contract for a cognitive computing tool that will help the acquisition workforce award and manage contracts. 
So that's like the IBM computer that plays Jeopardy, right? It takes query, yeah. then it mines data for like things that are related to the answer, and then uses context clues to determine if it's found the right one. Well, basically, yes, it's just like it's similar to that. That's the that's the concept. Uh, so cognitive computing combines data mining, pattern recognition, natural language applications, things like that to analyze complex tasks. Only this one, obviously, is going to be mining federal rules and regulations to help contracting officers award contracts. It won't be answering pop culture questions. Um, <laughs> Assistant, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition, Bill LaPlante, says the tool will help program managers and contracting officers navigate the FAR and other procurement regulations and policies to make business decisions. The Air Force Research Lab released a small business innovation research solicitation for the cognitive computing resources in January and is expected to make an award this month. VA is also doing something interesting. They're going to be hosting a Makeathon event next week, which is aimed at accelerating the development of technologies to improve care and quality of life for disabled veterans. So during this event, participants are going to be able to use 3D printers, and they're going to produce prototypes of their ideas, which they can then test and refine with the assistance of technical experts and veterans who are going to be right there on site. Uh, completed designs will be reviewed by a panel of expert judges. These are people from not only VA, but Google.org, General Electric, and Toyota. So the event is going to be running from 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., two days next week. It's on the 28th and the 29th at Hunter Holmes McGuire VA Medical Center in Richmond, Virginia. That's that's incredibly cool. I love 3D printing. I think that's the, that that is like the neatest new toy that I want. It is. Uh, I want one I, for food, <laughs> like they have in those like Star Trek movies. So I, that, that's the next generation make, I'll be looking I for. I want to make stuff, but we're going to keep an eye on that one to see what they come up with. I'm very very curious to see how that turns out. Yeah. Um, Another big contract announcement this week, the Defense Intelligence Agency awarded 25 large and 25 small businesses spots on its $6 billion Enhanced Solutions for the Information Technology Enterprise, or eSight, contract. This is a five-year indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract that's going to be providing IT services for defense intelligence agencies and the intelligence community. Services will include system design, development, fielding, and sustainment for classified and unclassified programs on multiple networks for DIA, the combatant commands, military services, and the intelligence community. Other big defense news, Lockheed Martin announced on Monday it has agreed to acquire Sikorsky Aircraft from United Technologies Corporation for $9 billion. In addition to the Black Hawk helicopter, Sikorsky manufactures commercial and military helicopters, including the Navy's VH-92A presidential helicopter. The deal is expected to be final in the fourth quarter of 2015 or the first quarter of 2016, but it must be approved by DOD. Relatedly, Lockheed is considering spinning off or selling its components that sell information technology services to the government, so retrenching with the core offerings. Yes, very, very interesting. We've been expecting a lot, you know, with the with the contracting economy and shrinking budgets. They they've been expecting some shifting and merging and selling in in the defense industry. This is a fairly big one, so we'll see what DoD thinks about that. Um, we have one more defense tidbits. Um, another thing that came up in previous podcasts, we've mentioned a provision in the 2016 Defense Authorization Bill that's currently under consideration in Congress. Uh, that language would shift milestone decision authority for major acquisition programs from the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics uh, to the Military Service Acquisition Executives. And supporters say this will increase accountability within the services for their acquisition programs, but some folks disagree. 
Undersecretary Frank Kendall has questioned the need for the uh, language since the chiefs are already welcome to any program review meetings. And Defense Secretary Ashton Carter has also cautioned against the change. Uh, last week, Principal Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for ATNL, Alan Estevez, said the provision would impede the Defense Secretary's ability to manage the department. Even though the service chiefs report to the Defense Secretary, uh, the department management is conducted through the staff of the Office of the Secretary, not through the service chiefs. The provision would prohibit documentation for milestone decisions uh, from being sent to any organization outside the military services, which Estevez says would create a blind spot in ATNL oversight of major program decisions. Now, in contrast, Army Chief of Staff General Ray Ordineros has come out in support of the idea. Uh, now, he stopped short of endorsing the specific language in the bill, but he did say that giving chiefs more authority over their programs would not undercut OSD oversight. So I'm going to keep an eye on this one. It's very interesting to me. Um, you know, every year we have some kind of back and forth between DOD and Congress on something or other in the NDNA. Um, you know, sometimes it's minor, sometimes not so minor. Sometimes it turns into a big thing. Um, a lot of times it just kind of just par for the course. Uh, and, and interestingly, I don't remember contradicting messages coming out from top officials. Um, there's almost you know, always some kind of negotiating between agencies and Congress, but we have a little daylight here between OSD and uh, General Odenier on this topic. I think we're going to hear a lot more about this as Congress works out the new Defense Authorization Act, and it'll be interesting to see which point of view prevails, and that could have some repercussions. Yeah, that sounds like a little bit of a tug of war happening there. So, a yeah. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. There's, it's always, you know, a question of like how much oversight is too much and how much is, you know, not enough. And then are you getting people who have all the different relevant areas of expertise with defense stuff? I mean, it's so hard with them. Those programs are so huge, which uh, coincidentally leads to my next, <laughs> next topic. <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize, but, you know. The latest uh, Buzzy McButherson term that we've seen floating the surface of the news coming across our desks in the last week and a little bit over that actually is is program management. Yes, yes, we've got uh, we've been hearing a lot about that uh, lately. It's probably not not a buzzword. It is actually something that people do. But now it's now it's the new hot thing. It's the new hot ticket. We've got companion bills in the House and Senate that would create career paths and competencies for program managers and require agencies to create strategies that outline how they're going to use those professionals. It also would ask OMB to get a program management council in place and related policies. And, of course, the focus on this would be on at-risk programs. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> that list of, you know, very 150 high-risk items. Yes. So, and, you know, there's a very real need for this. And it's not that, you know, the professionals in the government are not competent. It's just that when you're running any effort that is scaled to meet the needs of a federal agency, that is de facto going to be a big initiative and lots of moving parts. And so it seems like a no-brainer that you would really need skilled, highly trained people to essentially act like traffic cops or even better, air traffic controllers. And they're making sure everything comes in and lands as expected. The milestones are integrated properly and you don't have wings colliding and runways, you know, all that stuff. Uh, one of the hot IT services, for example, that we're seeing offered to federal agencies for their IT efforts is systems integrators. And it's the same idea. There's a lot of disparate pieces. And so somebody needs to be in charge of making sure it all comes together right. So we saw this week the National Academy of Public Administration released a white paper, uh, and it, it, it 
basically puts forth their ideas on how the government can make it a priority to implement program management, why they want to do that. And it also offers seven elements they recommended the government strive to put in place to really institutionalize program management and its use, practically speaking. Real, you know, get it out there, get your fingers sunk into that. So, and in fact, they also offered their own recommendations on those congressional bills, too. So, Yes, yes, they did. There was, there was actually a lot of crossover uh, with the legislation. Um, specifically, we'll run down those recommendations. Uh, the Academy recommended uh, designating a single individual with responsibility and authority for coordinating program manage- management policy and promoting efforts government-wide, uh, cultivating program management support uh, for both specific programs and as a practice among top agency leaders, Integrating program management into strategic planning, goal setting, and budgeting processes. Clearly defining the roles agency leaders will play in program management processes. Establishing strong senior level program management organizations at individual agencies, which would help integrate program management into strategic planning and performance improvement processes, communicate program management policies throughout the organization, and provide relevant training. They also recommended creating a general program management job series with a career path, and finally recommended bringing senior program management officials together in an organization to advise on policy, share best practices, and oversee the development of expert program management resources, so right. like a program management council. That latter point is pretty much, I mean, pretty much all of that mirrors the legislation that's proposed exactly, obviously with yes. the you know differences between the two bills, but that was kind of one of the, the key differences that there was. So, for example, with the five-year strategic plan that the legislation calls for, they recommended that a baseline be added so that, you know, when these improvement efforts are being made, there's, you know, our, how, how are we doing? We have a you know, a benchmark to measure against. And and then also really rolling it out to the senior executives. So like I just touched on a second ago, um, you know, it, it's not just for um, the rank and file. It's really important to get the upper level management involved. And, you know, they, they said OMB specifically should create training that is geared towards those senior level officials as well. And, you know, really their whole emphasis was on institutionalizing program management in the culture and processes of an agency. I feel like we kind of broken record on this all the time. If you don't weave in whatever X newfangled great idea is into the fabric of how business is done at your agency, it will get forgotten about, right? It, it needs to become habit, right? I even talk about that for like 28, 21 days or whatever, you know, get up and exercise or something like that. It takes a while for it to get integrated. So right. um, anyway, but in, and then the final thing is, you know, I guess similar to rolling it out to the senior executive level or whatever is what's the most senior level that there is? Well, you know, getting the president to really when there are high level strategic planning sessions that go on and, and program management needs to be involved in that. It's almost kind of like the Fatara thing where, you know, right. the CIOs have the seat that. at the table. It's the program managers have a seat at the table. So anyway, kind of kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, so. It's tie-in. Yeah, I, I was thinking that too. I was thinking how much it reminded me of, of, of the goals of Fatara. Get, yeah. everybody, get everybody talking. Sure, definitely. Right? Bridging the gap. All right. We like that term, bridging the gap. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Yes, you can uh, comment on our podcast uh, where you downloaded it from VAO this week. Uh, we'd love to have your feedback or f- on the format or the content. And also on that page, you can find links to VAO, um, to the headlines that we recapped in this week's podcast for further reading. We will be back with you on July 31st with our next weekly news recap. 
Thanks very much for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you then.